0: so on and so forth, but we just need to be faithful to God. So I want to talk about faith tonight, go to Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14. Good to see you this evening. I think I turned it on, no it didn't, okay. Okay. Alright, Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to read verse, start at verse 22, I'm going to read down through verse 36. It says, straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship, and to go before him onto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when evening was come, he was there alone. The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. When they were gone over, they came unto the land of Gennesaret. When the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. As many as it touched were made perfectly whole. So we'll just preach about faith tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's start. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you for uh, that we have your word uh, preserved for us uh, in our own language that we can understand and read and have our own copy and meditate upon its precepts and, and, um, and just um, uh, allow it to work in our lives that we might be conformed to the image of your dear son. So Lord, we just just thank you for the privilege we have to uh, study it tonight. pray that you'd help us to rightly divide thy truth. Encourage our hearts and strengthen us in our walk with you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I believe we're living in the last days. Of course, Paul talked about the last days when he was writing to the churches. But you know, he wrote about the last days and saying perilous times shall come. I think we are living in the last days. I think the things we're seeing take place before our very eyes in these Last few months are demonstrating that very strongly. Um, I'm i become convinced this whole thing is a, a very strong push for a one-world government, one-world, uh, a universal health care system. Uh, it's being pushed by not only politicians but philanthropists, uh, the Bill Gates, Melinda Gates Foundation, and uh, doctors with long lists of things behind their names, which are just bureaucrats. Um, Anyway, all that to be said, we're living in the last days, but in light of that, we're supposed to just be faithful to the Lord. Just keep on living for the Lord. You know, there have been times in history where people thought the end was near too. Uh, When Hitler came to power, lots of people said the rapture's near because they thought he was the Antichrist. Turns out he wasn't the Antichrist, so we don't know for sure. But you know, the, there seems to be a lot of things that indicate that, and and of course, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, this 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 what we're seeing today certainly indicates that. But but despite of that, we are to have faith. You know, in Luke eighteen eight, the Bible says Jesus said there. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Now, I don't think he was talking about. Um, Uh, you know, will there be, will there be Christians, but will there be those who are really, who really believe him, really trust him, really are faithful to the word of God. And, um, and, and so uh, the challenge is us to to be, to to be have faith in God until He comes for us. We need to be like that barber in Michigan. I don't know if you ever saw that old barber in Michigan. I think he's 77 years old. He said, "I'm going to reopen my barber shop. I don't care what the governor says until they either throw me in jail or Jesus comes for me." Uh, and the judge just threw his through the threw, or um, upheld his case. Uh, just I think it was yesterday I saw. But anyway, so his, his barber shop's still open. But anyway, you know we need to be faithful uh, until the Lord comes, and the basis of our faith is the Word of God. In verse twenty-two, it says, "And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away." The word "constrained," of course, means to compel, to exert force, or to drive, if you will. And it says here that Jesus constrained his disciples. To get into a ship to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. So they were they were instructed by the Lord Jesus to get into a ship and to sail. Uh, and they did that. Uh, and of course, he went up in the mountain uh, to pray. So so we see here the word of God was the the, the 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 was the direction or the compelling force that drove them to get into the, or. You know directed them to get into a ship and to sail the other side they responded to the Word of God they were obedient to it uh, of course he is the word uh, Jeremiah chapter twenty verse eight you know or nine Jeremiah said his word was in mine heart as a burning fire and uh, I was weary and could not stay so the word of God needs to be the basis of our faith it is central to everything in the Christian life you know every every doctrinal statement of every fundamental church, you might say, whether it's Baptist or, you know, or, or, or some other stripe, but you might call itself fundamental, uh, says that the Word of God is the final authority, I like to say it's the only authority, but it is the final authority for faith and practice, so for what I believe and what I live. The, the, so the basis of our, our faith is the Word of God. Uh, it is central. And from it, from the Word of God, I was talking to someone this last night, from it, all these other things come about. Uh, evangelism is a product of the Word of God. It's not the center. It's a product of the Word of God. You know, if we make it the center, we'll compromise to, and that's what a lot of them are doing, they're compromising to, 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 to uh, uh, further the evangelistic. It's not the, it's not the center. The Word of God is the center. Human government, gets its authority from the word of God. Uh, Genesis 9, God instituted human government. If a man sheds a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's human government. And, of course, in Romans chapter 13, the uh, Apostle Paul very clearly spelled this out for us, that human government is ordained of God. Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So human government gets its authority, or the source of human government is the word of God. Uh, You know, pastoral authority. A pastor gets his authority from the word of God. Once he steps outside of the word of God, he really doesn't have any authority. By the way, neither does government when they step outside the word of God. You know, we have a a final authority, and that is the word of God. You know, I was thinking about, uh, you know, what if the police show up here? What do we say to them? Well, I have three reasons why we can meet, why we ought to meet like this. Number one, the Constitution of the United States says that not to infringe on our right to peaceably assemble. The North Carolina Constitution says that government or any authority in any way shall interfere with the religious assemblies. And then the third and the most important one is the Bible says that we're to assemble ourselves together as a manner some is. And So much more as you see they, they approaching. See, we have, a, we have an authority that's even beyond our human government authority. And that's the word of God. And it is the basis for our faith. It's the basis of what everything that we believe in our conduct for life. And so it's important. You know, it's faith in the Word of God that brings salvation. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says there that without faith it is impossible to please, please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the reward of them that diligently seek Him. And if you look in Hebrews chapter 3, and and verses 7, and then through chapter 4 and verse 3, Hebrews chapter 3, and verse 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, and proved me, and saw my works forty years, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of... And here's a key word, unbelief. In departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin... For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast in the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom sware he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not... So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being less of us, entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. And we're talking about salvation here. salvation. See, those who believe the word of God, when, when, when Moses gave the word, God, through, or God gave the word through Moses, you go into the land and possess it. Take possession of it. But those ten came back and said, We cannot. We are not able. Why? Why did they say that? Because they did not believe God's word. And Canaan speaks of rest, of deliverance. That's what salvation is, a deliverance from sin. Going into Canaan doesn't represent dying and going to heaven. No, it represents coming into the rest of salvation, deliverance from sin. And so these did not enter in, didn't find that rest, because the word didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into the rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, uh, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. You know, our salvation has been purchased since the foundation of the world. Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But it's faith in the word of God that brings us that salvation. Faith in the word of God. Taking God at his word. And believing in Him, trusting in Him, putting our dependence upon Him, in Him, as our Lord and as our Savior. So it's faith in the Word that brings salvation. Again, that's the basis, the basis is the Word of God. And it's faith in the Word that will sustain you throughout life. You know, we, need, we need to continually believe and trust God and not be afraid. Job, Job 23, Job 23, and verses 8 through 12. You know, Job faced some severe trials and tests in his life. But Job trusted in the word of God to sustain him. In verses 8 through 12 of chapter 23 of Job, it says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, but I cannot, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So no matter what happened to Job, although he couldn't seem to find or see God in what was happening to him, he said, this I'm going to do. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to claim his promises. I'm not going to give up on the Lord. You know, Daniel could have said in Daniel chapter 1, when, when, you know, after he was taken captive to Babylon, you know, he could have said, where's God in all this? Where's God? Where are you, God? Why would you put me here? And now they're putting this this defiled meat and this wine that I'm not supposed to drink before me. Where are you, God? He could have said, where are you, God? Because God didn't seem to be there. But he purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. In other words, he determined by the grace of God he was going to do what's right and let God take care of the consequences. And that's what sustained him. His dependence upon God. Of course, Job said in chapter 13 and verse 15, I think that's where he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. And you know, that was Daniel's attitude. Though I die, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. You know, there's only one person you can completely put your complete trust in. It's not your pastor. And it's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your governor. nor your president. It's God. God can't deny himself. He will never make a promise to you that he will not keep. Never. Because he cannot lie. You know, I could make promises to you that I cannot keep. But for God to do that, would be to contradict himself. And he can't do that. And we need to trust him. And it's through his word, as we read and study and, and meditate upon his promises, that we will learn... To trust him, to trust him to sustain us through the trials of life. In this passage here, what we're seeing is the Lord is teaching His disciples to learn to trust Him. Think about Peter. He says, "Let me walk on the water." He just said, "Come." But you know what the problem with Peter was? He looked at the waves, and he lost faith. He lost dependence. He became fearful like so often we do. We become fearful. Fear is a real thing. All of us have fears. Some fear certain things more than others, but all of us have some fear, sort of like a legend in India that tells about a mouse who was terrified of cats. So a magician agreed to transform him into a cat. That resolved his fear until he met a dog. Then he asked the magician to turn him into a dog. So he turned him into a dog. And that was, got rid of that fear until he met a tiger. So again, he was in fear. So he asked the magician to change him into a tiger. When the tiger met a hunter, he complained. And the magician refused to help. He said, I'll make you into a mouse again, for though you are, have a body of a tiger, you still have the heart of a mouse. You know, we all have fears. But it's faith in our Lord that is able to conquer our fears. And the basis of our faith is the Word of God. You know, Hebrew, uh, Romans ten seventeen says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's so, that's so important that we read and spend time in the Word of God. So the basis of faith is the Word of God. The, secondly, I want to see the trial of our faith. Verses 24 to 26, it says, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. Remember, they are where, they are right where Jesus sent them. So these disciples are in the center of the will of God. But they're in the midst of the sea, tossed to the waves, for the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea, the Disciples saw him walk, they were troubled, saying, Is a spirit, and they cried out in fear. So, if you get afraid sometimes and you're in the will of God, don't get so discouraged. <laughs> so, disciples, we all do. We just have to work at overcoming our fears by learning to trust that the Lord will never leave us. So, you know, these are these, these are disciples, of course, were seasoned fishermen, but they were in this ship. They were right where the word of God, uh, God had sent them. Uh, they have been obedient to him. But there's, there's a trial. There's a test. There's a storm in their life. And God allows trials and storms in our lives to teach us and instruct us. James 1 says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall the divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, let patience have a perfect work, You may be perfect and tire, wanting nothing. Peter would go on to say in first Peter chapter one, in verse six, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love in whom now, though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of, our, of your souls. You see, our problem is, we can't see God. We can't see the end from the beginning like God sees it, and so we get fearful. Sort like walking in the dark. Now, I know some people don't seem to be afraid of the dark, but I'm honest, I don't like the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. Especially in North Carolina, they have poisonous snakes. And I'm not afraid to tell you, I'm afraid of poisonous snakes. In fact, I'm just afraid of snakes. I mean, I'm not deathly afraid of snakes. If there was one back there at the door, I'd be looking for a shovel or something, or, you know, some lethal weapon to use to get rid of that thing. Um, You know, and I would go toward it and, you know, take care of it. I'm not that badly afraid of it. I wouldn't be running out the door, but I'm afraid of snakes. Well, maybe I should just say I have a good health to respect of snakes. No, I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of dark, too. I don't like the dark. I like to see where I'm putting my feet. See, we all have fears, and here they were. And see, that's, that's how life is. We're often groping through the dark. We can't see the end from the beginning, but we need to treat, trust our Lord who's leading us. You know, trials come into our life and we don't know what's going to happen for certain. You know, every trial is, is, a, is an uncertainty. Daniel's trial was an uncertainty. He didn't know how the outcome, what the outcome was going to be. But it gave God an opportunity to manifest himself in the life of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know how that fiery furnace ordeal was going to come out. But one thing they knew, we wouldn't bow. We're not careful to answer you, O oh king. In other words, we don't have to think this over again. We know what we're going to do. We're not guaranteeing that God's going to deliver us. And if not, even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your idol. Now, they didn't know how it was going to come out, but they trusted the Lord. You see, the Lord allows trials in our lives to refine us and to teach us, instruct us. Psalm 119.71 says, It's good for me that I have been inflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. In Malachi chapter three, and I've used this many times, I think, over the years, but Malachi three three it, it's, the Bible pictures here the Lord as a refiner of silver, and it says in verse three, Malachi three, and he shall sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness, then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old. And as in former years, so he pictures God here as a, refuer- a refiner of silver, and of course a silver uh, smith as he's refining his silver, he heats it, and as it gets hotter and harder, more impurities come to the top, and he continues to skim off and heat it and skim off until he can see his own image in the silver then it's pure and see God works in our life and brings trials and tests, as Peter said that be much more precious than of gold that perisheth. He brings those trials and tests into our life to conform us to the image of his Son. Romans 8, 29. 29. And all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You think about it, you know, I've often thought about Abraham's life. You know, Abraham, believing God, left there the Chaldees, a very idolatrous place. Journey to the land, he, God said, I'll, I'll show you when you get there. And he came and pitched his tent, and the Lord showed him the land, and and of course he had trials, he had a famine, he went down to Egypt, he had a famine, he went to Abimelech, in Egypt he picked up Hagar. The Lord told him he was going to have a son by Sarah, and and... Uh, Not not having the confidence in the Lord that he should have, he hurried that, tried to hurry that, help that situation along with Hagar. But God continued to work in Abraham's life. Isaac is born. And then he says, you take Isaac, thine only son, and you go offer him as a sacrifice unto me. And Abraham saddled his donkey and takes Isaac's son as wood, and he goes to a mountain, and lays Isaac on the altar, lifts his knife to slay him. And you see, in that picture, what you have is a picture of God himself, because that's really what God did. with his own son, for you and I. In fact, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19, says, By faith Abraham was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that an Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead, even from the dead, raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also He received him in a figure. So Abraham, God is now seeing himself in Abraham. Your trials have a way of refining us and making us like nothing else. There are opportunities for God to glorify himself. In, in Psalms chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Psalm 4, 1 and 2, <clears throat> the psalmist said, Psalm 4, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Now, Understand, to enlarge means to broaden, to expand, to make useful, uh, to prosper. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. To enlarge. And it doesn't say, thou hast enlarged me when everything was going great. It says, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. You see, what brought David... Into closer and closer relationship with God, more understanding of God, and more useful to God was his hardships. Not when everything, do you realize that when everything was going great for David, do you know what he did? He took another man's wife. That's kind of mind boggling, isn't it? It shows you our human nature. When everything is growing great, and he should have been at the pinnacle of his, of his spiritual life, he took another man's wife and had that man killed. But he said, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer, O you sons of men. How long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek out releasing? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself, and that the Lord will hear when I call on him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. Be still. Don't turn the glory of God into shame by not trusting him in times of distress. See, Job glorified God because he trusted God through his trials. And we read about it in James chapter 5. You've heard of the patience of Job. The Lord is merciful. See, faith is really, what faith really is, is conquering your doubts. Refusing to give in to the fears and the pressures of society and the world around us that says, What's the use? You know why the ten didn't go in, want to go into the Canaan land? Of course, they didn't believe. But you know what drove that unbelief? Fear. They saw the giants, they saw the walled cities. And they were afraid. They said, We be not able. They left one person out of the equation. That's God. You know, anytime we leave God out of the equation, we have every right to be fearful because we can't do it. You know, every trial—you might say this—every trial has an has an impossible situation in it. But to every impossible situation that you face in life, there is a biblical alternative if you'll just trust God to see it through to the end. Daniel faced an impossible situation. You got to eat that meat that's sacrificed to idols. That's what they did with meat in Babylon. And you got to drink the wine that the king has ordered. Because Nebuchadnezzar, if Nebuchadnezzar don't like you, it's just like that. So he's ba- faced with an impossible situation. But he has purposed his heart not to defile him, And so he requested or he asked for an alternative. A biblical alternative. And just just by chance it was given to him. No, it wasn't. It was given to him by divine order. That... God just didn't know that it was a divine order. (laughs) Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego faced an impossible situation. They didn't know if they were going to live or die or be burned to death. But God intervened. You know, God only intervened in delivering you in this life, or he'll intervene by taking you home and be with him. That's the way Paul lived. He said, for me to live is Christ, or to die is gain. And you think about it here in our text, even in our text, Peter is faced with, you might say, with an impossible possible situation, when he saw the wind boisterous, You know, so if he's looking at the circumstances, if we, if we just look at the circumstances around us, I mean, we'd all lose hope. No, we need to look to the one who gives the orders or the commands. Jesus said, Come. So he should have walked straight to Jesus and not looked at the wind and the waves. And so we need to keep our eyes on the Lord through the times, as Job did, as he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. A.B. Simpson said this, quote, you will never learn faith in comfortable surroundings, unquote. John Marshall said, quote, it's a fine line between faith and foolishness. I'm not sure if I can tell the difference, unquote. Because the world will think you're foolish. Many times, if you say, "I'm going to do what the Bible says," I'm going to obey the Lord. Let Him take care of the situation. So trials are an opportunity. Trials will come, and they're opportunities to bring glory to God. I want you to notice the third thing: the the reward of faith. Verse thirty-three says, "And when." When they were come, verse thirty-two. When they were come to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, "Of a truth, thou art the Son of God." So there's a greater revelation of or understanding of who God is here. They they come and worshipped him, believing and saying, "Thou art the Son of God." As the psalmist said in Psalm four, "Stand in awe." And said not. Isaiah forty twenty eight to thirty one. <clears throat> Isaiah forty twenty eight to thirty one. The prophet said, "Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not; neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding." He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. If you feel faint, go to the Lord. Trust the Lord. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So greater revelation of who God is they, they begin to understand the works of the Lord in his people. You know, Corinthians tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all the promises of God are in him, yea, and oh, amen. So all the promises are yes and so be it. Every promise that God has given in his word is a yes and a so be it. It's going to happen. He's going to keep it. Somebody said this. Quote, faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Let me say that again. Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Joshua and Caleb, they didn't know how God was going to give them walled cities like Jericho and giants like the sons of Anak because it looked from appearances to the natural eye as an impossible situation. But they believed it, not knowing how it would be brought to pass. But because they believed it, they got to see it come to pass. You know, that's what faith is. It's believing without seeing You know, Paul said, Paul's on his way to Rome in the midst of a storm. They've cast out all the tackling of the ship, all the food in the ship. They lighten the ship as much as they possibly can, and they all think they're going to die. Paul stands up in the middle and says, Sirs, be of good cheer. Now this is Spiler's revised verse where he said you should have listened to me and not started out in this journey. Nevertheless, not a hair of your head is going to perish. And I encourage you to take some meat because I believe God. And God had made a promise to Paul in chapter 23. That's in chapter 27. In chapter 23, God made a promise to Paul As you've been a witness at Jerusalem, so must you also be at Rome. And Paul, God reassured him, I will give you, you're going to be saved from this and everyone that's with you. And he said, sirs, be of good cheer, I believe God. He believed it, he hadn't seen it yet. Because he believed it, he saw it. See, we need to take God at his word, simply take it at his word, believe it, and we can see it come to pass in our life. Faith. Faith is the victory that overcometh the world. You know, in troublesome times, like we're living in today, we simply need to continue Trust God to obey his commandments, to keep his precepts. Continue to be faithful to him, knowing that he will keep his promises to us. Let's pray.